The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot, and I always sail with travel insurance. You should, too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Holland America's MS Eurodam this week, and staff writer Richard Sims waiting in the wings with Cruise News. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. We'll kick things off with Carnival Magic having a bit of an accident in Jamaica a couple of days ago. This is another story about a ship being impacted by high wind and waves, which is becoming more and more routine. We we seem to be reporting about, you know, ships breaking free of their moors and 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 slamming into things more and more often. In this case, the Carnival Magic, which had been which was actually chartered by a shiprocked um, they arrived in Ocho Rios early because they knew there was some bad weather coming. Unfortunately, when the weather hit, it caused the ship and the pier to have a collision. The ship was, you know, was docked already, but it just the winds, the winds, you know, the side of a ship becomes a giant sail in wind. Um, it it wasn't a huge accident, but it was enough that it did damage to the boat, it did damage to the pier. The pictures um of the damage make it look much worse than it is. I mean, it, there's black areas that look like giant holes, but they're clearly not because, and how do we know? Because the ship basically left the pier and went out into the open waters so that, you know, as the winds and waves continued, they didn't keep getting bashed into the pier. The interesting thing was that when the captain made the decision to take the ship out to sea, um, not everyone was back on board. So some folks watched the ship sail away, which, had to have been freaky. You know, if you didn't know what was going on and, you know, you're just like heading back to the pier, making your way there, and suddenly you see the ship sailing away and think, you know, oh, crap, it left without me. Eventually, those left behind were able to get back on the ship. Um, but between the weather and everything else going on, the magic wound up staying in Ocho Rios uh, the next day, which was Wednesday, rather than moving on to its next port of call. We don't know as of this point when it's going to leave. As we are recording this, the ship is still sitting there. Now, they were scheduled to leave uh, Wednesday evening, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen yet or not because it's not quite – That's as we're recording this, we're approaching the time that it would be leaving. So um, keep your eye open. We'll We'll update you as we get news. Did you see that video footage of when they had to evacuate Perfect Day because of the bad weather yesterday? No. Yeah, it's pretty wild. They had to uh, basically sound the alarm and get everyone off the island and back onto the ships. Waves were crashing over the pier and everything. It was wild. Wow. Well, and you know, it's just this is what's happening with weather lately. It's yeah. And it's not a situation that's going to change. You know, I mean, it's not like the environment is going to suddenly go back to the way it was. We are going to be seeing more and more weather disturbances in the years ahead. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the cruise lines sort of adapt to that, which they're going to have to. And I know this next story is going to make you a little bit jealous. A little bit. More than a little bit. 
Norwegian announced that starting in November of 2025, the GEM is going to be sailing out of Jacksonville. And as you know, and probably some regular listeners know, the GEM is one of my all-time favorite ships. I have done it certainly more than any other ship. Um, it was my very first ship uh, that I did an overnight sailing on. It's it's just it's an amazing, gorgeous older ship. Uh, I believe it's from 2007 was when it was originally launched. But if they've taken good care of this ship, and it's you're getting a good good ship down in Jacksonville. Um, I guess it's going to start in November 2025. It'll be doing itineraries to Nassau, Freeport, and the private island Great Stirrup K. More about that in a minute. Um, it'll be doing four, five night, five and four night rotations. It'll also do a couple of 12 day sailings and an 11 day round trip Eastern Caribbean sailing. But, um, all of this will be out of Jacksonville. It's the first time that a Norwegian ship has been home ported in Jacksonville. Last month, there was talk about a new ship coming and, you know, we even tried to guess and we speculated a little bit, but I certainly did not predict that it would be my beloved gem that used to sail out of New York. And that's why I sailed it so often was it was sort of my home port home ship. But now it will be there. You've sailed the gem, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And I think this will give you a chance to actually come visit us here in Florida. Uh, you know, I may have to do that, although it depends on what ship they put here in New York to replace it. I mean, right now... You know, we 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 do have the Meravilia, uh, the MSC ship, sailing year-round out of here, which I'm doing in October. And earlier, we had the Venezia, which I sailed a couple of weeks ago and loved. So we'll have to see. Maybe maybe I'll just start trying, you know, maybe I'll just try more and more ships instead of going back to the old favorites. There you go. And one cruise line is saying, hey, if you don't want us here, we'll just go somewhere else. You know, they say Virginia is for lovers, but Princess Cruises was Definitely not feeling the love when it came to the town of Yorktown, Virginia. They had planned to do three or four stops there with the Island Princess, but locals in town said, no, we don't want big old ships coming to us. So Princess decided they would shift those stops to Norfolk, which is where they normally stop, and it's about 45 miles away. I, You know, I won't lie. It's kind of easy to understand why this particular town felt this way, because the town itself is very, very small. It only has a population of a couple hundred people. And the Island Princess, which is the ship that was going to be visiting, holds, you know, like 2,000 or more people. So it's really easy to see how really overwhelming that could be for a town. There were some locals who obviously liked the idea of having, you know, 2,000 people come and spend their money there. But the vast majority of people in town were like, yeah, this is definitely a, this will lead to a case of over tourism and let's just cut it off now. They they did not want to see that happen. So instead, the ships will go to Norfolk, which still, you know, that's not that far away. You can still go visit the places like Yorktown and Williamsville um, or Williamstown, I guess it is, which are which are, like I said, about 45 miles away. This just would have been a slightly different route. And, you know, people are always looking for new ports to visit and it would have been a nice change of pace, but not happening. And Carnival Cruise Line has officially welcomed a quote unquote new ship to the fleet. Or a new used ship, as the case might be. Uh, the the Forenzi has officially been transferred from Costa to Carnival, both of which are divisions of the Carnival Corporation. So the ship basically stayed in the family. It's like on the Brady Bunch when they took in Cousin Oliver. This is the second ship that from Costa that has made the jump over to Carnival, the first being the Venezia. 
Um, with this edition, Carnival is back up to having 27 ships. That number fell a little bit during the pandemic and the years right after the pandemic when they sold some ships. But now they're back up there to 27. Um, this ship is now in Cadiz, Spain. It'll be there for two months getting some changes made. And, you know, they will do the same thing with this one that they did with Venezia, which is to, you know, a lot of the things that made it Italian, a lot of the distinctive decorations and things like that will stay. Some will be changed, you know, some will be transitioned out. Um, but they will, this will be the second ship in the fleet to have Il Viaggio, the high-end Italian restaurant that was introduced on Venezia. And this ship will also have the terraza area that was introduced on um, Venezia. So, you know, it's it's going to be a very similar ship. It will be sailing out of Long Beach, California, starting in April, once it comes out of dry dock. Uh, so this will be um, kind of a cool new ship that's not really new, but it gives people an opportunity to to sort of, I like it because it, you get to sort of stretch your boundaries without going too far outside of your comfort zone. Like it is still a carnival ship, but it's a slightly different carnival ship. Now, I'm sure we will hear the same things about this one as we did when Venezia came out, which was some people absolutely loved it. Other people were like, oh, no, this is different. You know, it's not the carnival that I know. So, you know, it's worth doing a little bit of research and finding out what the ship is and what it's not before you get on board, I think. And finally, the Bahamas just made another money grab where cruise lines are concerned, at least. This is kind of shocking, and um, and we really we just got this news right before we came on. We um, Sea um, Trade News reported that um, there's going to be a 10% VAT or value added tax on all goods and services offered on the private islands. Now, up until now, the private islands have been exempt from the VAT tax. tax. So any money you spent there, you know, you didn't have to worry about having this added, but. Apparently, they were trying to, like, sneak this in. It only has just come up. It's just come to the attention that there's going to be a period next week when um, questions and concerns can be raised. But it basically sounds as if this is a done deal and that starting probably in March, you know, anything you do or buy on the private islands will come with this additional charge. Uh, it's assumed that for at first, at least, the cruise lines will probably eat that. But eventually, this is going to be factored into your cruise cost. This is going to be it's 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 kind of surprising, and it's a little bit aggressive on the part of the Bahamas. And remember, this is coming on top of the fact that they have just recently raised. I think it started in January. They raised the port fee that they were charging for every person that came. You know, the, whether you get off the ship or not, you have to pay the port tax. And that went up. So now here comes a 10% VAT on the islands. Because what a lot of people forget is that the private islands, um, we think of them as being owned by uh, the cruise lines, but they're sort of rented. You know, the Baham, these are actually Bahamian territories that the cruise lines are going in and building their private destinations on. So they do still fall under Bahamian laws. That's why um, this is this is this is possible. It's definitely unexpected and still developing. So we'll have to see over the next couple of weeks how this plays out. But yeah, that's that's just kind of shocking. 
I, I got a kick out of reading this one. I guess the cruise lines probably didn't find this funny, but how it says the unexpected change set to commence on March 1st was discovered by cruise lines through a draft document without formal government notification. It, exactly. They're just trying to like slip this in. It, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't even imagine. You know, it must be funny to be like, I could just see like somebody was casually reading this document and suddenly stumbled across the fact that, wait a minute, they want to do what? You could just see like almost cartoon, like their eyes bulging out of their heads, like in a Popeye cartoon or something. It's, you know, and the interesting thing to think about is already, you know, we have these private island destinations that are in existence, but there are also new ones being developed, you know, with Disney developing theirs and the, the new ports being developed in Freeport. And all of these will fall under this new ruling. So that's a pretty significant chunk of change that the uh, Bahamas is, st- is going to stand to make from this. Well, the cruise lines have been known to strong arm the Bahamian government, like with that VAT tax when they kind of deferred that for another seven months last year. So we'll see if this gets deferred some more or if it uh, it really goes into effect next month. It really does feel like a battle, you know, mm-hmm. like it feels like the Bahamians are sort of saying, OK, we've let you. Yes, we make a lot of money off the cruise lines, but you also make a lot of money off of us because you need a destination to go to. And we're, you know, obviously they're very, very close to Florida, so it makes it an easy destination to hit to. But they're sort of saying maybe it's time for us to, you know, balance the playing field a little bit. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. All right, listener question here from, ah, I forgot his name. It says, do world cruises have to pay for daily gratuities like everyone else? The long story is yes. Um, Or I should say the short story is yes. The long story is that while they do pay the daily gratuity it's generally folded into the 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 tips are usually part of the overall package that you're paying for which makes sense because imagine if you're doing like say a 30-day world cruise and you know you've you've ponied up what you think is the final cost and then you find out that you're being charged you know whatever let's say 15 dollars per person per day times 30 that's a pretty significant that's it's already a big hit when you have to do it on like you know say a seven-day cruise and you're a family of four and you have to pay a per person per day gratuity that's added on after the fact that's annoying but imagine if you're like doing one of these really high-end cruises and after paying as much as you are for this long 30-day voyage you suddenly find out that you have to pay 30 days worth of gratuities so very wisely it is usually folded into or part of a promotional package where they'll say you know um you know yes your tips are included in this but yes you are basically paying that gratuity charge i mean i've always said Cruise lines would be very smart if whether you're doing a two-day or a seven-day cruise, fold that cost right into the cruise because then nobody knows that they're paying it and they can't complain about it. Instead, every time the prices go up, people complain about it. <laughs> if you have a listener question, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. I might forget your name, but we'll answer the question. As always, staff writer Richard Sims, thank you so much. As always, thanks for having me. Have a question or a comment for the show? Yeah! Send an email or voice memo to Doug at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. 
Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. The world is constantly changing. Your place for news is still the same. Online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. Last fall, Angie and her husband took a sailing to Alaska on Holland America's Euro Dam. And Angie joins us on the line. Hey, Angie. Hi, Doug. I'm so excited to be here. I've yeah. been listening for years. Yeah, we've been corresponding years uh, uh, on email, so it's good to finally hear your voice. This was an Alaska cruise out of Seattle. You live in Seattle. Was that one of the reasons why you picked this one? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, when we were planning and booking this cruise, we were still in the time of the big sea when you know everything was really uncertain. You didn't know what was going to happen, if you were going to get canceled, if you were going to test positive and have to stay home. So we just figured... This would be our year to do an Alaska cruise. We'd never done one before. Um, and the other factor was, as you know, um, my husband worked for Princess Cruises for several years before the shutdown and ended up losing his job there, um, you know, due to the shutdown. So we kind of wanted to try a different cruise line this time because um, when he was working for Princess, we always cruised with Princess for obvious reasons. <laughs> but um, we kind of wanted to try a different cruise line this time. So we decided to do this Holland America itinerary out of Seattle. So I have to ask, when a cruise ship leaves out of your own home port, you just hop an Uber and go right to the pier? That's exactly what we did. Um, some people choose to drive to port and park, but I kind of did the math. And in addition to not really wanting my car to just sit out all week in the parking lot, I just figured it was a little bit more affordable to take an Uber. So that's what we did. You take the short ride to the cruise terminal. How was embarkation? It was really super smooth. Um, the terminal there is very big. There was a Holland America ship, obviously our ship, <laughs> and then a princess ship there. Um, we got there and we dropped off our bags. We got in line. There was a man there who said, look at this iPad. And I looked at it. And apparently that was when they took my picture for... Um, facial recognition for the whole rest of the cruise. <laughs> so I was kind of annoyed because my picture was really super bad and that all the authorities at all the ports seemed to have that bad picture. <laughs> but other than that, he, he checked us in and we were right on the ship. Like we never even really had to stop and stand in line other than verify. And then the quick process of going through security. How long would you say it took from curb to ship? I mean, maybe 15 minutes. Not bad at all. So you're normally cruising Princess, so you board Eurodam. What were your first impressions of this Holland America ship? Well, you, you board the ship. Um, they had a lot of crew members there ready to just show you to your cabin, basically, or at least to your floor. Um, so we got on the ship. Um, the ship itself, uh, there was no kind of big entry or anything like that. You just kind of got on the elevator and... You told them where your cabin was, and they told you what floor to go to, and we were able to go straight to our cabin. What kind of stateroom did you book on this seven-nighter? We had what Holland America calls a deluxe veranda, which is a balcony cabin. I don't think on the Eurodam anyway, I don't think there's any verandas that are not deluxe, so I think they're all <laughs> in this category. It was really nice. This category has some features that I really liked 
that I throw up beyond what a lot of cruise lines do for a balcony. So one thing is in the bathroom, they had a tub, which I think in, on a lot of cruise lines, you have to do like a suite or a mini suite to get a tub. Um, and I did not take a bath in the tub, but just having the tub made the shower a lot bigger and easier to kind of navigate around. There was also a little mini sofa or like a love seat in the cabin, which you don't always get. Uh, the balcony was a decent size and I'm a plus size person. So for your viewers who are also plus size, the balcony chairs were really comfortable. And that is not always the case for us. Like sometimes these deck chairs, they have really tall arms on the side and then it's kind of squishy when you try to sit in it. So I just wanted to shout that out for anybody else who might be plus size. Overall, very comfortable, um, very nice finishings and everything in the cabin. I know the ship is a little bit older and some people in our Facebook group were concerned like that it was going to be old or run down or anything, but it definitely wasn't. It was, it was really nice. Let's talk about dining on this cruise. Now, Angie, I need you to help me explain this because Holland America, it's basically, it goes down the Lido deck, but at different stations, but they're mirrored on each side, right? That's right. And it's kind of the old school buffet where it's like a really one long gauntlet that you walk. <laughs> so, but each station had folks that were actually working there cooking food which was nice because the food was a little bit fresher, I think, than what you normally get. They were also serving the food to you rather than you self-serve. Um, and I'm not sure if that's a normal Holland America thing or if that was a COVID thing. But overall, we ate there quite a few times. We almost always have breakfast in the buffet or else room service. And uh, we even eat dinner there sometimes because we don't always feel like doing the whole dining room thing. And the food was really good. The the highlight for me of the food there was actually the Asian food. They have an Asian food section and it was actually really, really good. Nice. Yeah. They have a, they have a good, good selection up there on the buffet with Holland Americana. I will say that. How about the kind of grab and go type places that that's not specialty, but maybe around the pool. That's right. There's a pizza place that is out on the aft pool deck on the Euro Dam. That seemed to be the place that had the most open hours. So like if you want if you got hungry later at night and stuff, I will say the Holland America um, experience or the Eurodam, it was definitely not a late night experience. <laughs> so if you wanted food really late night, you'd have to do room service. But I think the pizza was open the latest. And then they also have a burger place that's near the pool on the inside. Um, and I forget what they call that pool, but there's a burger place there. And then there's also the specialty dining, which we did tamarind. And that's like a pan-Asian restaurant, which we live in Seattle. So we are used to having a lot of really good options for Asian food. So when I saw the word pan-Asian restaurant, I was kind of like mm, skeptical, but let's try it, you know. Mm -hmm. So we did try it and it was really good. We didn't do the steakhouse. But they do have a steakhouse as well. What time dining did you have for this sailing? Um, we have, I can't remember what they call it, but basically like anytime, anytime. dining. Okay. And how was yeah. the food and the service throughout the week? It was really good. Uh, we ate in the dining room twice for dinner. So one night we did the gala night, and which is what they call formal night. And then we did just the regular dining room the other night. And I have to say, I didn't notice any difference in the menu between the gala night and the regular night. Mm -hmm. And I actually liked the menu better on the regular night. Um, they do have lobster on offer, but you had to pay extra for it both yeah. nights. So there was no like special lobster night or anything, but that was fine because the food was amazing. Otherwise too, even on the regular night, my husband was able to order a New York strip, which I think is a pretty high end steak. So, mm -hmm. um, the service was great. The, um, the dining room was never very busy, which I thought was kind of interesting because I'm used to cruising and having the dining room be packed, but yeah, it was really good. 
I'm getting my cruise lines confused. How many dining rooms does this one have? Well, there's one, but it's two stories. Okay. And I believe that if you had a set dining time, you sat upstairs. And if mm-hmm. you had any time dining, you sat downstairs. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about the entertainment now. I know these Alaska cruises sometimes have, uh, what do they call them, onboard lecturers that kind of sail different segments of the cruise. Did you have any of that on this sailing? Yeah, we had, um, there was a guy on board they called a naturalist, and he was amazing. Um, They have this venue on there called the Explorations Cafe, which is really at the top of the ship on the, I think it was on the floor of the ship. And um, you could go there and he would do talks there. Um, But he also did talks in the main theater. And we went to one of his talks um, that was about glaciers. It was called Fire and Ice. And it was about, I think, glaciers and volcanoes. And it was kind of funny because I'm embarrassed to admit this. I probably shouldn't even say this. But before we went on this cruise, I had forgotten that glaciers actually move. So they're like these rivers of ice that Mm -hmm. move really slowly. (laughs) So it was really nice because we went on, we went to that talk before we actually saw any glaciers. And so it kind of just was nice reminder of um, the environment and what we were about to see. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they also have for entertainment at night, you know, Holland America had put a lot into their music venues and we spent a lot of time, way more time than I thought we would going to the Lincoln center stage. Mm-hmm. My husband really likes classical music and I like it. I, I don't sit and listen to it a lot, but he, he does. And the Lincoln Center stage, I thought, was really a special um, venue because, you know, you're always on cruise ships. There'll be like a classical trio kind of playing in a corner of an atrium or something. And there's 200 people drinking and talking and whatever. And so the fact that they actually gave it its own stage and it was it was a small it's a smaller venue. So it was very intimate. I was actually surprised when I heard on the news the other day, I think on your podcast, that Holland America is doing away with that because it was for us one of the highlights of the cruise and it was always packed with people. So I I found that information surprising. But anyway, we we also saw we spent a few nights in the BB King Blues Club and that band was really good, too. I mean, it really felt like it didn't feel like, you know, sometimes you go on a cruise and you hear, you know, older music or Motown or whatever, but it's all played by like a bunch of kids that look like they just got out of college. (laughs) Um, this actually seemed like a real blues band. So that was really cool. Um, and then we didn't see, there is a big theater and we didn't really go to the big theater as much, but one night we did go and they played this BBC earth film and the film had been coordinated with live music. So the Lincoln center stage musicians were playing live music along with this BBC earth film. And that was really cool. You mentioned there were no real late night activities. What did they roll the carpets up around 10 or 11? Yeah. And actually it was kind of funny because the Alaska itinerary had you getting up at like six and seven in the morning sometimes. So it kind of made sense why there wasn't a lot going on, but we would be in the BBC blues club at night. Um, My husband and I are kind of, we used to be serious night owls. Now we're kind of not as much, but uh, we definitely would close down the BBC blues club. And the last, they would do three sets every night. And um, the last set, it would be so funny because suddenly all of these really young, attractive people would be on the dance floor. Whereas throughout the earlier part of the night, um, you know, most of the Holland America cruisers are like middle-aged or older. So at night, these, all these really young, attractive people would be out there on the dance floor. And I figured out later that it was all the crew that worked in the shops. (laughs) And then after the shop closed, they would all go and dance in the in the blues club. Nice. How, how were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? 
we didn't have any problems with crowds on this cruise. Um, it's not a very big ship. I looked it up before we spoke today, and I think the capacity is like 2,100. And I, I never found out if it was fully booked or not, but it did seem busy sometimes, but we never really had a problem with crowds. And especially, I think the only place you may would be like the Lido buffet, but since it's so spread out, you just, you kind of never really had a problem with that. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, the Exploration Central venue, which is where they have all the destination stuff, the talks that they would have, the shore excursion desk is up there. And then there's a bar and coffee shop up there. That would actually be the venue that was the busiest all the time. Okay. That's the Crow's Nest, right? Yeah, the Crow's Nest. Are they still using the Crow's Nest or also the Explorations Cafe? No, I think that's, they're both the name. Okay. I think the Exploration Central is what like their shore kind stuff. of Pond America is like marketing yeah. <laughs> name for it. Gotcha. I hear you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the ports of call you hit on this seven-night cruise. So what we'll do here is give us the ports of call. We'll do your highlight and we'll go to the next one. Okay. So the first one was Juno. And before I get into the ports, I wanted to tell you that when we went on this cruise, I had a problem last summer with um, Achilles tendonitis. And so some of these ports, we did kind of very low key things. And because I didn't want to trigger it again, because when you trigger it too badly, you can't walk very well. I had gone through a bunch of physical therapy and stuff and I was able to walk and, you know, behave normally. So I didn't want to trigger it again. <laughs> so that's why some of the stuff we did is kind of like very low key. But in Juneau, we did, we did the Mount Roberts tram thing because I thought it would be easy on my Achilles, but I don't know if I recommend that it's kind of expensive and you go to the top and there's really not a lot to do up there, but spend more money. So then we took a bus. You can just these guys out there selling bus tickets. And we just took a bus out to Mendenhall Glacier. My husband walked down by the water some by the glacier. I stayed by the visitor center because of my Achilles. But he said it was really cool to walk down there and be able to see a really good view of the glacier. Um, and some people walked through the waterfall. It was by far the highlight for us, both of us on this cruise. One thing that also happened for us, we were there over Labor Day week. Like Labor Day was the beginning of our cruise. The weather, they said, was absolutely unbelievable. It was clear, dry. Winter Glacier Bay, it's very frequently raining. So we got to go into an area that apparently they don't usually get to go because it's too narrow and the conditions are poor. And it's just really unbelievable to be in this environment where humans don't really go other than on a, a boat or a ship and see all of this land that's kind of unspoiled by human touch. The glaciers are, are really cool too. Um, obviously, that's why you're there. But even for me, just the, the majesty of this unspoiled nature was just so beautiful to see. Um, so that was definitely the highlight. You don't even have to get off the ship, which is also nice. <laughs> you're still in the comfort of the ship. Right. Um, the National Park Rangers got on the ship because it's a national park. So they got on the ship and they were speaking over the intercoms. So even though we did have a balcony cabin and you could sit on the balcony and look out, we we did go out to the aft pool deck because then we could hear the announcements that the National Park Rangers were doing. And one of them, she just had this wonderful style over the intercom and she explained so much about the the nature and the history of the area and, you know, the naturalist was out there too and we got to ask him questions. It was just a really great experience and probably the highlight of the cruise for us. Then that night we were there kind of first thing in the morning until the late afternoon. And then we went down to icy straight point. So this one, we did not get off the ship. The weather had turned and it was really, really rainy. And since it was September, it was starting to get dark. So we just stayed on the ship for that one. A lot of people did leave the ship and go for walks and things like that, but we just stayed on the ship. So then the next day we were in Sitka 
And in Sitka, we we did a Holland America excursion um, called the Best of Sitka. And it was a really nice excursion. There isn't a lot to do in Sitka if you just go out on your own. So this is why that day I decided to kind of splurge on this excursion. For your listeners, the excursions in Alaska are pretty expensive. They're more expensive, I'd say, than other destinations that we've gone to. But I thought it was worth it because uh, it had three different parts to it. So the first part, we went on a boat, basically like a whale watching boat. They didn't call it a whale watching tour. They called it like a nature watching tour or something. Um, And they guaranteed that you'd see either bears, otters, or whales. And we did see otters. And then we did see whales as well. And we saw so many whales. Again, this was a day where everybody kept telling us we were blessed. We had the best weather they'd had all summer. (laughs) It was a beautiful day. And then we saw all these whales. Um, We almost saw so many whales. I was starting to get bored with whales. (laughs) Anybody who's gone on a whale watching tour knows that never happens. Usually you see like one whale way off in the distance. Um, In Sitka, that area is just beautiful. Um, We live in the Pacific Northwest, so it's not totally foreign to us, but it's like what you see in Washington state, just, you know, kind of times a hundred, right? Um, Then the second part of the excursion was we went to this place called the Fortress of the Bear. Um, That was the only part of the excursion that was kind of, to me, it was almost a little bit of a downer and I wouldn't go there just on its own, not a part of a larger excursion because it's a place, they call it a bear sanctuary, but really what happened is this couple adopted these bear cubs that lost their mothers. Um, Cause I guess in Alaska, if they lose their mothers, they will, they will also put the cubs down cause they can't live without their mothers. So it was a noble thing they were doing, but they, they wanted to start a kind of rescue and real rehabilitation center, but they haven't been able to do that. So now they just kind of own a bunch of bears and the bears, it's just very much a very small kind of tourist trap kind of thing when you go there. But then the last part of it, we went to this raptor center. And again, I'm so much of a city kitty. I didn't even know that raptors were like a whole category of birds. Uh-huh. And it includes eagles and hawks and different kinds of birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was sort of like the velociraptor from Jurassic right. Park. <laughs> but um, so this raptor center, they they rehabilitate birds in this raptor category. So that includes eagles and, and any eagles that have been injured or whatever. Um, they can rehabilitate them there and then let them back out into the wild. And that place is really cool because they had really good enrichment activities. Like they um, they had a talk and during the talk, they brought out one eagle who they had, uh, I guess this eagle was hit by a car and she's not able to be released back into the wild because she has some brain damage, but she physically recovered and now they use her as like a teaching animal. So they were actually able to bring her out and we were in this room that's kind of like a mini auditorium and they showed us this eagle and it was just really cool to see an eagle in person like that. I've never seen one that up close. I've seen them, you know, at the top of trees around Seattle and stuff, but mm-hmm. that was really cool. Um, so that, that whole day excursion, I think was like five or six hours. And then we just went back to the ship after that. Um, but that was a really good excursion. And I don't think there's a lot to do in Sika otherwise. So yeah, <laughs> I do recommend that one. The next morning we were in Ketchikan. We were there from 7 a.m. until like 11 or something. So we did not get off the ship. We are not morning people at all. And we had done the um, the thermal suite in the spa. So we used that as, a, as an excuse to just go in the thermal suite rather than get off the ship. Well, a lot of people were off the ship. Then the last one, we had a, another really short stop in Victoria in the evening the last night. And again, we did not get off the ship in that one. Um We've been to Victoria before because we live in Seattle and the stop was so short and we were just kind of tired. So we just stayed on the ship. 
I love it. Was this your first time to Alaska or were you all there with Princess? We had never been to Alaska before. Okay. Because you live in Seattle, I'm curious, what was it for you? We probably have two different views on this because I'm in Florida. It's like a bucket list thing. But because you're in Seattle, is it just like, is it bucket list or I just want to see what's north of us? Well, the funny thing is it never was a bucket list for me. When Colin worked for Princess, there was always a priority on. So basically, when you worked there, you got to go on a cruise once a year basically for free. You had to pay the taxes, but you had to get on a list to do that. And so he never put himself on the list for Alaska because that's kind of like the more popular ones as he had less seniority. As he got more seniority, we probably would have done it. But um, the other thing is, yeah, because these Alaska cruises aren't that different from the Pacific Northwest where we already live. We always kind of wanted to go somewhere warm or do something else. And I was kind of like, oh, do we really want to do Alaska? But um, this year just really made sense to do it because of the all of the risk around travel with COVID restrictions. But having said all that, even though it wasn't on my bucket list, it really was a, a great destination. And I think, yeah, some of the stuff we didn't do because it was similar to Seattle. Like we didn't go out and eat a bunch of Alaskan king crab for $80 or whatever, uh-huh. because we can do that in Seattle for less than $80, <laughs> you know, but some of the stuff was, you know, Seattle is a city, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we do have some of the same scenery and things like that, but we don't have this wild nature here that we, that you saw there. And it is, it is a different environment. So um, overall it was really, really cool. And I'm glad that I did it. How was Debark once you got off the ship and being local to just like hop, uh, like, did you have to wait long for an Uber or Uber's pretty good in Seattle? You just, you were off the ship Uh, into your house. Yeah, we didn't do an Uber because you had to, I don't know, it was hard to figure out where the Ubers were. So we just got in a cab. There's a bunch of cabs right there. We did the self Debark with our own luggage and stuff. So we just kind of left our cabin, ate some breakfast, hopped off the ship with our luggage and got in a cab. Very nice. Easy peasy. So any first time tips to offer someone either sailing Holland America for the first time or going to Alaska for the first? Sailing Holland America, it's really nice. It's super comfortable. Um, It's not a party ship. There's not a lot of razzle dazzle. So if that's why you're cruising, that's probably not the line for you. But in Alaska, you're really there for the scenery and the locations. Everybody says that they're one of the top cruise lines for Alaska itineraries. So definitely take a look at them. Um, First timers going to Alaska, I would say, I think it's a little bit more expensive than a lot of the cruise destinations in North America that we're used to going to. So just make sure that you plan and budget for it. But I definitely think, and especially if you're not a jaded Pacific Northwest (laughs) resident like me, it's one of the most beautiful places that you'll ever see. I think definitely um, take advantage of that. Do some of the excursions that get you out in that nature and get you away from the tourist kind of stuff that's right around the ports and just really dig in and enjoy it. And then finally, for first timers, I also wanted to say, you know, when you go on this cruise, I was participating in some Facebook groups and I noticed that a lot of people were talking about buying like parkas that were rated for 30 below and stuff. You don't need all that stuff. Don't worry about that. Like just bring a raincoat, um, bring an extra hoodie um, and you're, you're going to be fine. Very nice. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for y'all? I would say the biggest highlight was Glacier Bay, just being in that environment for several hours and being able to take the time. Um, the ship would would slowly move and then turn. And so you could see all the different the glaciers and the nature around and stuff. That was just, it's just kind of unbelievable to be in a place that's so unspoiled by humans. 
And then on the ship, the highlight for us was the Lincoln Center stage. And that was a total surprise. I mean, we knew that we would like going to see a couple of classical shows, but we, I think we went and saw like maybe 10 of their sets. <laughs> nice. um, it was just a really cool venue to have. And in closing, your final thoughts of Holland America's MS Eurodam. Um, I think the Eurodam's a really nice ship. Um, again, like I said, there's not a lot of razzle-dazzle. So if that's why you're there, then you should probably choose a different ship. But it was really comfortable. It was really well-maintained. Um, there were little things, you know, like the tub in the in the balcony room that I didn't expect. The crew was very nice. I, I kept thinking I saw a water bottle filling station and I kept trying to ask people where it was. And I never found out if there really was one because the crew would just take my water bottle and fill it for me. <laughs> So just little things like that. Um, it was a really comfortable vacation and it was kind of just what we needed after all the stress of, you know, the past couple of years of COVID and everything like that. We've been talking with Angie about her seven night cruise on Holland America's Euro Dam up to Southeast Alaska from Seattle. Angie, it was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing this review and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, Doug. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer.